back at you like we never left. It's the First Cut Podcast. Chip Patterson here. Kyle Porter there. Kyle, um, we've felt... I feel I feel rested, but I also feel hungry. And I got to say, the loyal listeners have been chirping. Uh, we've got... <laughs> I, like, seriously, the, the whether it's text or Twitter... I'm hearing from everybody. Hey, y'all got y'all got a new first cut coming for Quail Week. Hey, what's what's the plan for Quail Week? I mean, it's the the leaderboard is stacked, the prize money is back up. It's the week before the players, and oh by the way, uh, a certain Eldrick Woods is going to be comp- is going to be competing. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. As as hyped as we were for the Masters and and just the the build up and the lead into that. It's almost like because it was so hyped, more more so than I can remember in recent years, mostly because of Tiger and and you know other guys playing really well. It left almost a bigger void after the Masters. So the three or four weeks after the Masters, there there always there's always a lull. It's always kind of weird. But this year it was like it was just like a black hole. Shout out to Phil Mickelson. Sure. Uh, it was. It, <laughs> it was. <laughs> wait wait wait. Why is it shout out to Phil Mickelson on the black hole? Oh, he's like he was like super into like black holes and space for a while. <laughs> I somehow <laughs> missed that. Okay, nice. Shout out to Phil Mickelson and uh, yeah, space. Yeah, but like, I, it was just weird. It was like professional golf is still happening, but nobody's like nobody good is playing. And when when the guys that are good were playing, like Spieth, Thomas, John Rom, they all missed the cut at the team event. So it was like four weeks of just kind of barren wasteland no offense to andrew landry and scott you know, piercy and billy and uh billy horschel yeah some of our other winners it, it, it's I'm, I'm glad though like this is to me if if tory pine signifies sort of the start of the season we always talk about that uh to me uh quill hollow is is the start of like the second half of the season so it's like the post all-star break which is kind of weird because you don't think of the masters as being like the midpoint of the season, but it, it really is in terms of events. So to me, this starts the second half of the year. We've got 20 weeks left, three majors, a WGC, the players, uh, and then three other kind of big time events, including this one. I'm fired up. I, I can't, I can't wait to see what happens at quail and, and then at the players next week. Yeah. I was talking to a buddy about it and I was like, I mean, you go Wells players, two tournaments in Texas, including one uh, at a new course, which you've got to play. We will get to that later. Are you going to go to either one of those, by the way? I'll, I, I'm definitely going to Byron Nelson. I'll, I might go to colonial. I'm, I'm not sure yet. The uh, NCAA golf is that week uh, or starts that weekend up in Stillwater. So I'm trying to figure out uh, kind of, kind of what I'm doing there. Uh, and then after that you get the St. Jude and then it's the U S open. I mean, there's like no, I mean, there's not much of a letdown at all, uh, between here. And I was making a list for, uh, for quail hollow. Now, remember we were, we are back at quail hollow after one year at Eagle point down in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, it was moved because quail hollow was the site of the PGA championship last year where Kyle Porter saw Justin Thomas, coming down the stretch to win that thing so it's it's interesting because we've got like our our defending champion um but our defending champion isn't necessarily the defense like like i feel like we've got justin thomas and brian Harmon and james Hahn all with some claim as like defending <laughs> champion here at wells fargo we've got tiger woods we've got rory who's won this thing and has pretty much every quail hollow record uh patrick yeah. reed's back ricky's had success here like i made a list of 14 golfers 
And it was like eight golfers out before I even hit Phil Mickelson, a guy who has yet to win a Wells Fargo uh, championship, but has nine top 10 finishes and 14 starts. It's uh, where do you want to start, man? I've, I've got, I've got lots of golfer related topics or we could go course. It's your call. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's start with the course because I, I was reading about this today and they're talking about how difficult they they sort of made it last year for the PGA Championship, and it was hard. I mean, I, I can't remember which. I think it was the first or second day when when JT kind of retrospectively said, "Hey, I won the tournament on." It might have it might have even been Saturday because I shot a seventy three, and I could have shot a seventy seven or, or whatever it was. So it it was it was different than we've seen like Rory burning it down with a sixty one in two thousand fifteen and. Uh, obviously they changed a few of the fir- uh, a couple of the first three or four holes. They kind of redesigned stuff there. Um, but I'm excited about it. I, I think, you know, I, the article I was reading was talking about how like they've sort of, they sort of eased off the gas pedal in terms of how hard it was back in August. And it's going to be, uh, kind of a, a more normal, uh, e- even if it looks a little different, it's going to play more normal like it usually does to where you're going to see, you know, 13, 14, 15 under win the golf tournament. So, um, I, I think that aspect of it, I think guys are going to be more comfortable, less, uh, less anxious about getting out there and, and just having, having a really difficult golf course to tackle. Yeah. Last year, uh, Kevin Kisner was the leader the whole way. Kisner and Hideki in the final group, but, uh, but JT coming home with the 68, Beats, uh, beats Francesco Molinari, Louis Oosthuizen, and Patrick Reed, who we have not yeah. seen since the Masters. Um, where, like, when when you're looking at the, there was an immediate, um, not fallout, but we discussed on the we discussed on the podcast. There was an immediate reaction. A lot of people uh, learning about Patrick Reed. A lot of uh, new fans. A lot a lot of people who were just. Uh, now willing or interested in digging a little bit deeper into to the complicated uh, personal story, and we're interested in personal stories and individual sports. And you know, everybody from uh, you know Tom Fernelli, a sports fan who just who who liked this uh, this this Patrick Reed guy. He's like Patrick Reed's now my second favorite golfer behind Ricky Fowler. That's what Tom said to me <laughs> uh, during the Masters. Uh, but then to like my mom who, who was, you know, much more invested in the, some of, some of the, the family life and the backstory there. Like there's, there's a lot of, uh, newness to Patrick Reed, even if he's been uh, a high level player, what would you say for four years, three years? Yeah. Four, three, three or four. I think four, 2000, yeah, yeah. 2013, 14, 15, somewhere around there. He gets his first couple wins, really breaks yeah. onto the scene. Uh, obviously the Ryder cup success that we've referenced, uh, here before. Um, do you, are you, do you think that we're gonna, what kind of story do you think Patrick Reed will be this week at Quail Hollow? Well, it's, it's weird because it, it, he should be a, a bigger story, I think. And and I, I sort of wrote about this. I, I don't know if we've had a podcast since I wrote about it, but and this is just sort of something that I saw unfolding. Everything that happened in the wake of of Augusta, it, none of it was about the golf. And then you start looking at the golf, like what he's done so far in his year in his career, and it's been pretty good, like kind of historically good. And now. 
and, and I wrote I wrote an article about this, and I, I sort of compared him to Jason Day, and and we may have talked about this, and I apologize if people have already heard this, but th- through like 165 events or whatever the number was, they've had the exact same career. Wow. I mean, eight eight wins, one major, one playoff, and one WGC. I think those were I think I think those were the number. Like it, it's it's been exactly the same, and we never think of Patrick Reed being on anywhere close to the same trajectory as Jason Day. Yeah. And yet, excuse me, not eight wins. I think it's like five or six wins, six wins maybe. Um, now, in the like 25 or 35 events after Jason Day's first 165, he took off. He won five, six, seven times, won the players, you know, did all that. So I, I certainly am not saying that Patrick Reed is as good as Jason Day or will end up with as good of a career. But we never think of him as being on that kind of a trajectory, and yet he won the Masters. He's got six wins. Yeah, but he he's, got, he's not easy on the eyes like Jason Day. Jason yeah, well, J- Jason Day is uh, is a better looking person. <laughs> That's, that is not a strong take. Jason Day is a better looking human being. He is more aesthetically pleasing to human eyes. Yeah, and and he's more. He's just easier to root for. <laughs> um, but I guess my point in all of that was injury complaining aside, still easier well, to root yeah. for. I, I uh, my point in all of that was the golf has been pretty good, you know. The the and and Reed's a little weird in that he doesn't like his his conversion rate when he finishes in the top ten of wins is crazy. I mean, like he he doesn't finish in the top ten as much as. Uh, somebody who was won six times on the PGA Tour uh, kind of should have, like based on historical percentages, uh, and and it like him and him and Ricky Fowler are almost the opposite. Like Fowler finishes in the top ten way more than somebody who only has four wins should have, and Reed finishes in the top ten way less than somebody who has six wins should have. Um, so that that's kind of another interesting aspect to it. But I, I, don't, I don't know you I, you haven't discussed this yet on the podcast, but. Uh, I would also put it in the Jason Day Patrick Reed discussion. Uh, there's also like we we talked about it before. Patrick Reed didn't have a top ten in a major before last year's PGA Championship. Yeah, that's true. But he also has had like five top fifteens in his last six majors, and so like it, I I feel like before but jason day was trotting out like t2s in second place and third place jason day's name was on the front page in contention on leaderboards early in his career before he won his first major yes that's correct and so like people on twitter were arguing with me like i can't believe you would compare these two guys and i'm like look i don't think patrick reed is better than jason day but (laughs) what i'm saying is they both had six wins through their first 165 events they both had a. I mean, I'm just looking at resumes, you know, and 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 we overrate wins. Like we we, I think, and especially like the general golf public, they just look at wins, and you're like, well, I mean, yes, like wins matter and they're important, but also like how many times like they're not necessarily the only uh, sort of indicator of how good you are at golf. You got to look at top fives. You got to look at top tens. You got to look at scoring average. You got to look at strokes gained. There's all these different things uh, that come into play. And and Fowler, by the way, is such a great. He's so emblematic of that idea because he's had all these 
top fives and top tens at tournaments and, and especially at majors where he's been beaten by historically great performances. I mean, you go back to the 14 U.S. Open, uh, the 14 PGA, um, you know, Reed's 14 under at, at the Masters this year wins, I don't know what it was, like 65 out of 82 Masters or 75 out of 82 or something. So he's been beaten by all these historically great performances. That that doesn't lessen what Ricky Fowler has done or how good he is at golf, but it's more difficult to get there to determine how good he is because he doesn't win as much as he probably should. Do you think that uh, it does... Does it become boring to try and look at what expectations are for Ricky because he's so consistent? Does it become say that again? All right, like I've I have found it like as as I do uh, preparation for these podcasts and and I go golfer by golfer. I'm going through the field and you know trying to come up with good questions and good storylines and and ways to to pick this apart and break it down. I, I find myself, uh, now, you know, we've been doing this for over a year now and you know, it's like Rick, Ricky Fowler. He's, he's really, really good. He could absolutely win this tournament. He has, you know, he has won this tournament. Um, what, what are the expectations? I don't know. He should, he should probably win or contend, but I could say Ricky Fowler should probably win or contend at the masters. I could say Ricky Fowler should probably could probably win and should contend at the U S open, you know, that it's, uh, right. and, and so, you know, I'm sure that if you are like, if you are right, you know, riding all, all the way and only with Ricky Fowler, I bet it is, uh, there's some, maybe a, some frustration or fatigue, but as somebody who's not, uh, invested necessarily, uh, it's, it's almost like, uh, a boring six, you know, like a, like there's, there's some level there where, uh, the intrigue is lacking, but yet I, I have to make sure that I don't lose focus of how good of a player he is and how dangerous he could be at any particular time. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I mean, uh, I think a prime example of that is if somebody like, uh, Joaquin Neiman, who just turned pro number one amateur in the world for like 63 weeks. Uh, the, the, he's 19 years old. He, he's going to be really good. I think if he finishes like T seven this week, I'm, I'm fired up. I'm like, wow, did you, did you guys see that? That was unbelievable. And if Fowler finishes T seven this week, you're like, yeah, that's kind of what he does. And so like the, there are these, like there's this stair step of success to where it feels like you should be progressing toward wins and I think Fowler is still progressing. Like I, th- I, I don't think he's sort of plateaued or peaked or anything like that. I think as you get higher and higher, though, like your progression becomes, or, or the the ability to perceive your progression becomes harder and harder because it's smaller and smaller. You're 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 turning the dial just just you're clicking it barely forward every year or every season or or whatever it is. Uh, and so I, I think with Fowler, it's just. It's, um, you know, and, and maybe he has plateaued. Maybe this is just who he is. But again, like because he's friends with Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas and Rory to an extent, those guys are not normal people. Like they're not normal <laughs> golfers. Like they're the outliers. Oh, but and look yet- at all these smiley wedding photos. They're normal <laughs> just like you and me. But and and he gets lumped in with them, and it's like Fowler's just on a more like normal PGA Tour career trajectory. But we lose sight of that because of who he hangs out with, and and sort of this group that he's been lumped in with. Mm. And so I I think that, but I think you're right. Like it, it is easy to lose perspective because you're like, 
oh, JT's already won like eight times. Like, why does Fowler only have four wins or whatever? So, yeah, I, I think that's totally right. Yeah, and, you know, it like the second that Fowler – like if Fowler wins the U.S. Open – like every, the it's it, how about this in the same way that the conversation changed when JT won the PGA Championship that it is like the 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 reaction will be even greater because of the success that has come before for Fowler so like uh so we we mentioned how we've got multiple defending champions uh Justin Thomas you know won here and and he's coming in as a uh as like a a B or C headline, even um, you know what? Like as as you're looking at the the Rory JT, I don't I don't have your picks up right now, but like how, how, who do you expect to be in the mix as as we're starting to to turn the corner on Saturday and Sunday in Charlotte? I mean, I, I think the trio that you would bet on uh, or that would be easiest to bet on is the Rory Ricky JT. I mean, I think they're the the top three favorites or three of the top four or something like that. Uh, Rory's history here is a joke. I think he's six of seven cuts made and he's got like five top ten. I mean, he just it's it's embarrassing. Like what what he's done Two wins. Ricky's got a win here. He's never missed a cut. He's six for six. And then obviously uh, JT won not a Wells Fargo, but a PGA last year. And um you know, just uh, obviously the way they all three played at the masters as well. And, and you, you know, you, you mentioned Phil earlier. He, he is, he's been pretty interesting here too. I think he's like 14 of 14 or 13 out of 13 in cuts made seven oh, it's, top oh, it's, fives. It's uh, how it's, many top, it was nine top tens, 14 of 14 cuts made seven top fives. Yeah. That's a joke. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think to me, I, I think I wrote this in my preview, but like I, I would love to to see a bet like those four against the rest of the field. Now I, I don't really think Phil is going to win this week, but the history is certainly there, you know. And and he obviously uh, enjoys this course. But those other three guys, like <clears throat> the only thing that gives me pause is um, they've been off for a while. Like Rory and Ricky haven't played in a month uh, in terms of a PGA Tour event, which probably doesn't matter. But um, I think that. You know, th- this is sort of a it's not a warm up for next week of the players, but they I, I think that the, like that's sort of the uh, broader focus is getting ready for the players next week. And, you know, one of those guys is so good that they might just <laughs> fall into a win this week at, at Quail Hollow. Does the does the like does the tournament and how big or important it is um is it tied to purse size or is purse size determined by how big a tournament is? That's a great question. Um, I, you know, I, and I, I wrote this about tiger being here. Like, like tournaments are not, uh, I think, I think tournaments are or are not great because of who shows up. Mm-hmm. Not because of their history or where they're located or what course they're on or anything like that. If all of a sudden, like the top ten guys in the world show up at, like they're all like, we're going to Byron Nelson every year. We're just, we're all going to play it. Top fifteen guys in the world, whatever it is. All of a sudden, that's a great tournament. Like that's like just below a, I don't know, a WGC. 
or something like that. It has nothing to do with purse size or course or location or time of the year or weather or anything like that. It's so determinant by, or it's so determined by which players are coming to these events. So you can say, you can, you can argue, and I think rightfully so that the bigger purses uh, attract the better players and sponsors will fork over money for to sponsor tournaments that they know great players are going to be at so it's a little bit of a a chicken or the egg thing but to me a a tournament is or isn't great if all of a sudden like the top 50 guys in the world start boycotting the u.s open for some reason the usga they're just out on mike davis they're like we're out (laughs) then the u.s open is not a very good tournament anymore you know like yeah i I don't know if that makes sense but I, i i think so much of it is just determined on on who plays these events. Nah, this this was the first year that I had I had really thought about purse size had never crossed my mind as something that I cared about or something that I even took note of. And uh, our schedule on the website has it, and I've been referencing it a lot this season and using that kind of as my guide for for planning and you know laying things out and. You, you sort of see, you're like, all right, so this one's like less than 7 million. This one's high seven. This one's 10. Yeah. Oh, why is it 10? Oh, it's the players. Like, you know, the Masters right. is a, like, and you can kind of see this rhythm to it where it's like, oh, like, why are we below? Oh, yeah, it's that tournament. You know, I don't want to call out tournaments for having small purse sizes. You know, it's not the size of the purse. It's what you do with it. Um, <laughs> I just, <laughs> but like, I, I, sort, I sort of started to understand that. And that's why I was just, curious to to pick your brain on it because you can kind of see like i i found the natural rhythms following the way that i expected uh in terms of how i felt you know with with no mathematics behind it like oh this this feels like a big tournament most of the time and uh and certainly the you know there's regardless of purse size if if tiger shows up different tournament yeah totally by the way before we move on to tiger i i got some uh career top five percentages for you. We're talking about Patrick Reed and and Ricky Fowler. All right. So thus far in his career, Patrick Reed finishes, excuse me, top, top five in whatever tournament, uh, 9.6% of the time. So that's that's one, one out of 10 Patrick Reed starts end in the top five. Yep. Wow. Ricky Fowler right now, 18% of the time. What? Yeah. Career. Yeah, through uh, uh, 205 events. Through 205 events, nearly one out of every five Ricky Fowler starts ends in a top five. 37 top fives. Oh, my. Justin Thomas, 20%, 21 out of 104. Hold on. You've been running the numbers on the conversion uh, stuff. Is that done? Are you still in the lab? Uh, I probably should still be in the lab, but yeah, it's, it's done. You, you want to talk about that in a second? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, so Justin Thomas, 20% top fives, Jordan Spieth. Are you ready for this one? Yeah. 27% top five. That's stupid. Rory McIlroy, 28%. Oh my God. Does, is anybody above 30? Uh, I mean, tiger. Mm. Tiger is, uh, <laughs> Tiger's 47%. <laughs> in nearly half of the events in his career that he started, he's finished in the top five. 
Yeah. I wonder what Phil is. Let me look up Phil real quick. Um, this this stuff is fascinating to me because I feel like it gives such a such an interesting like snapshot of where guys are. Phil's twenty two percent, so he's less than Spieth and Rory. That's incredible. All right, let's let's do Tiger real quick. Then I want to get back to conversion stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tiger at, at Quill Hollow. Interesting kind of um, history there. He's won it. And he's got four top 11s, and then he missed the cut in the other two events. And the last two times he's played there, he's missed the cut. Justin Ray had a really good stat about how last year at the PGA, the proximity, your proximity to the hole on approach shots out of the rough was uh, essentially the, the, one of the biggest on the PGA Tour. And so what that means is it's, it's harder to get it close to the hole out of the rough if you hit a bad tee shot at Quail Hollow than a lot of other places, or it was last year at the PGA championship. I think that'll be a little lessened this year because it's not going to be playing as tough. I I think that they will let the course play a little bit easier, but for tiger, it's not great news because he is not very good off the tee so far this year, especially from an accuracy standpoint. Um, but man, everything else he, I, 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 I cannot believe this is a real stat. He's number six on the PGA Tour in strokes gained overall. Number six. I mean, it's like it's like DJ Phil, Justin Thomas, Alex Noren, and Henrik Stenson are ahead of him. That's it. I mean, we're we're almost underrating how good he's been so far in 2018. Uh, I don't know if that continues this week, but I certainly expect either this week or next for him to have a, a top ten or a top five or, or contend to win one of these two tournaments. Tiger, uh, number eight strokes gained putting, kind of a sick statistical putting crowd. Jason Day, who's one, Phil Mickelson at two, Sam Burns, who you could tell me was a, a guitarist for the Allman Brothers, and I'd believe you, Greg Chalmers at <laughs> <laughs> four, Brian Harmon, Kevin Kisner at seven, uh, Tiger Woods, Webb Simpson, all in the top 10, all in the field. Webb, Webb Simpson, top 10 putting. Wow. Mm-hmm. He's playing well, man. That's, I mean, then yeah. like this was, you know, this is uh, what he claims this as a uh, home course. Um, I don't know. I mean, does it, does, if you were a daily fantasy player, uh, I would maybe because of the demand, they put a high price on him. But Webb Simpson's the pick where as you're filling out your team, I, I would feel, I, I would feel pretty good about that as uh, your pick for that bucket of players for this week. Yeah, I, I would too. I, I think I think it's a little bit hard because I think a lot of people that play fantasy are are in tune. I mean, like they're reading stuff, and it's not a secret that he's played well at this tournament. You know, he, he's I think he's got a bunch of top tens. He finished second in fifteen. He was seven strokes behind Rory, but he still you know he's he's had recent success there. So uh, for the for the true like fantasy nerd you might have to like go a little deeper than that but yeah if you're if you're just out there playing like that he's a great guy to have at, at whatever dollar purchase or or value you can get him at i like uh i also like tony and tommy finau and fleetwood <laughs> hey i so, so fleetwood right now gonna, that's gonna be a good Ryder cup matchup that number three in strokes gained off the tee number four in strokes gained tee to green like this, this very quickly went from, hey, can, I've got, uh, I think I might be able to get an interview with Tommy Fleetwood. Do you want to put it on the podcast? Yeah, Kyle, send me the audio to like, 
holy cow, this guy is is playing statistically as one of the best golfers in the world. Well, yeah, we did that interview. It was a week. It was 51 weeks ago because it was at the Players' Championship. He was playing in his first uh, – he was the first time at the Players. That, that was the whole deal. Like We were, we were treating him guys. like a cute little puppy. We're like, oh, look, yeah, he's so excited to be doing this. But that, but that was the transitional time for him was he started out great last year in 17 on the European tour. He played great in Abu Dhabi and Dubai and all these places. And you're like, oh, okay. Like the early season Euro guy, like that sometimes pans out, sometimes doesn't. But he's just been lights out ever since then. I mean, it's been a year and a half of just freaking flushed irons all over the planet. I mean, it's it's been amazing. It's been beautiful. And, yeah, and he's so fun to watch. Like I just I love his swing, his demeanor. Um yeah, I I think that he's going to win a, a few times on the PGA Tour over the next few years. Cool. Uh let's see. Who do you have as your pick to win? Uh after all that, I, I've got Ricky. That's not crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean it's just like you're you know, like I said, I'm picking from a pool of like four people that any of the four of them could win the tournament, but right. he won here. I think he got his first PGA tour win here in a playoff. I think it was 12 over Rory and DA points. I want to say that actually is and, correct. Yeah, there you go. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's really good here. He finished uh, tied for fifth with PGA last year. Bunch of top tens. He, you know, he should have won the tournament. I think it was the James Hahn year. Was that uh, 16, I believe? Yes. He he should have won that. He was, I think he was leading after 54 holes. And that that was just, I don't know. He, he didn't play very well on Sunday. So, uh, yeah, I've got him winning. Uh, I think he might be a top five player in the world right now. I know that's not like a, the hottest take because he's, I think, ranked number six or seven. But he's just he's he what he showed at the Masters was was big time and uh, who knows could be a big summer for Ricky Fowler. All right, so we got Tiger, Rory, JT, Ricky, Reed. Uh, does Jason Day have some juice right now? I don't know. I yeah, I get. I mean, more juice my, than he's my, had. How about how about this? Just the fact that he won in recent memory makes it feel like Jason Day is closer to some kind of awesomeness than he did four months ago. Yeah, I agree. I, I always go back to the putting thing. Like he's obviously a great putter, but he's putting at a level over the last few years that you're like, is this sustainable? Like, can anyone sustain this for multiple years? And clearly he sort of has, but even despite that, I always it always feels like there's going to be a regression. So I, I don't get super excited about guys that are just like putting really well, and that's why they're playing good. I, I'm not saying that's the only reason he's playing well, but it it certainly is like a concern when you're when you're making these picks and thinking about these tournaments. So what got you started on the idea of converting? Does it have to do with the chances? Yeah, so the thing that got me started on it, for people that, I, I tweeted this out the other day, I went back and looked at every 54-hole leaderboard, so round three after uh, major championships, all the way back to 2000. So the first one I looked at was the 2000 Masters that Vijay Singh won, and then I just went every, I think there's been 73 
majors this century, and I looked at every single one of them. And the thing that got me uh, thinking about this was uh, Rory, after the Masters this year, said, I put myself in position to win. I gave myself a chance. And I wanted to know who, over the last 18 years, has given themselves uh, the most chances to win majors. Because we always talk about top fives and top tens. And you're like, well, yeah, but you know, Rory's had four straight top tens at the Masters, and he's only had one real shot at it in those four top tens. So I want to look at, and this is just one way to look at it, but I wanted to look at after Saturday going into Sunday, you're, you're sleeping on the, the leaderboard on Saturday night. Do you have a shot to win a major championship? And there's innumerable criteria that you could use. Um, mine were, and, and we can argue about this or people can debate it or whatever, but mine were, you either had to be, oh, I got to pull it up. I don't even remember what it was. Do you have it in front of you? I don't have it in front of me. It was, you had to be within seven, uh, seven strokes. You had to be within three. Okay. Strokes with fewer than seven guys in front of you. That or was the seven. I remember there was a seven. Yeah. Within four with fewer than six guys in front of you or within five strokes with fewer than five guys in front of you. So if you were, if you were down by six or more, I tossed you out. You're out. You're not, you're not in, you're not on my list. Or if you were say within five, but you had 10 guys in front of you, you're out. You have no shot. Now, what I found was that in 73 events, there's been, I think I tweeted three, but there's actually been five outliers. So guys who have come from beyond those numbers to win major championships, which was really interesting. Who is that? uh, Let's see if I can remember. It was uh, Webb. At the 2012 U.S. Open, it was Ernie Els at the which British Open did he win? I think 13. Mm-hmm. It was Phil at no uh, Phil won the 13 U.S. Open. So it was Phil at the 13 U.S. Open. It was Ernie at the 12. No, excuse me, Phil at the 13 British Open. Ernie at the 12 British Open, Webb at the 12 U.S. Open, uh, Angel Cabrera at the whatever U.S. Open, he won 07 or 08, and then there was one other. Um, but those are, I mean, those are the ones you remember, right? Like Phil just finishing an hour and a half before the leaders at the 13 British Open to <laughs> to take the Claret Jug. Like he was, I think, seven down to start the day or whatever it was. But anyway, I, I wanted to look at how many guys have given themselves a chance on a Sunday at a major and then what their conversion rate was for how many of those they won. And it produced a pretty interesting list. Mm. What, what were your other big takeaways? Well, Tigers had 23 chances, so to speak, based on my criteria. Uh, Phil's had 19. So you expect that the next closest is Sergio with 12. That makes sense though for the like the story the narrative around Sergio. Yeah, I know. A lot of I mean um, he's he's had the chances. He's been there. I know. His conversion is he had the lowest conversion of anybody with eight or more chances. It's eight percent. He's yeah. one for twelve. Yeah. Tigers Tigers twelve for twenty three this century. Um 
I think I think the biggest takeaways for me came actually at the bottom of the list. So you've got you've got six guys with seven chances. So Henrik Stenson's had seven. He's one for seven. Furyk had seven. He's one for seven. Lee Westwood, Ricky Fowler, and Thomas Bjorn have had seven. They're zero for twenty-one combined. Uh, and then Rory's had seven, and he converted four of them. And that's been that's sort of a weird little secret about Rory. He's he's not in the mix that often. Like really in the mix on a Sunday at these majors, but every time he is, almost every time, he wins. And that's why, I, I thought that's what was so surprising about this year's Masters is every time we've seen that from him before, he's just, I mean, he's just run away. Like, he's just had a great final round. That's kind of what he does. So, all right, so it was uh, 10 Masters, seven, 18 Masters. What would the other... Uh, in the mix, but not conversion for him be. Well, it was eleven masters. Eleven masters, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, eighteen masters, and then I think the other one was the two thousand and ten PGA Championship. Ooh, that that was the Bubba Keimer playoff at Whistling Straits when DJ grounded his club. Yeah, yeah. I was I was just trying to think about that. Um, is it a bunker? I don't know. Fans have mashed it all down. <laughs> Rory was T2 going into the final round, three back of uh, Nick Watney, who was the leader. Rory was tied with DJ. They shot the exact same first three-round score, 71, 68, 67. That's and uh, he ended up he ended up T3, tied with Zach Johnson. Uh, he, he actually had finished one stroke out of a playoff, ahead of, one stroke ahead of DJ. <laughs> the, so the, the, that was the thing... I guess that makes it even more fascinating is not only uh, like that since the 2011 masters, he had like, he was on a run of if in contention converting to win like no. So that would be no, no four yeses and then a no. Yeah. Four in a row. Yeah. But all of those were, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he had the lead going into the final round of all of them. Hmm. 11 U.S. Open he did, 12 PGA, believe he did. 14. Uh, four, 14 Open he definitely did, and 14 PGA he did. So it was it was a different spot for him in that he was not leading, but he still had a shot. Um, and, I mean, it's not like a huge secret. He's a just an unbelievable front runner. Like, in in – it might be one of the most, or it might be one of the ways that he's most similar to Tiger, you know, in, in terms of like, you got the 54 lead at a major, it, it might be over. Like, this, that might be a wrap on it. So, uh, I don't know. The, the data was interesting. I'm going to write a, a longer piece or a couple of pieces on it before the, in the lead up to the U.S. Open. And I'm sure that, that I'll update it over the next, you know, couple of years as, as we look at these third round leaders at major championships. It's fun, man. I, it's like, a, you know, it, it's an idea that I hadn't really heard uh, with numbers behind it, but an idea that certainly you and I had agreed on and, and you were very interested by, like we're, we're so spoiled uh, by some, by some of these runs and, and we're so uh, over, like our cup overfloweth with potentially all time great players right now in the game of golf and they can't all win them all. Yeah, that's that's the thing that's like 
I mean, that's what kind compelling. of that. That's what kind of triggers this all, right? Like, just the idea that it's yeah. like, okay, any one of you or all of you look have the look of potential Hall of Fame players, and only one player can win all these, and there's a chance that it might be Patrick Reed. Yeah, I know. I mean, we were. <laughs> I was playing. I was playing golf uh, in my front yard yesterday with my four-year-old son, and he hit. He was hitting driver with these plastic balls. And he hit a good one. And I looked at my wife. I was like, he's probably going to win the Masters someday. <laughs> I mean, like, obviously completely joking because I understand the realities and probabilities better than most parents. Right. Uh, but it, we were we were laughing about it. And I was like, can you believe that only 52 human beings have ever won the Masters? That's it. I mean, that's crazy. 52 people of all the millions tens of millions that have played the game 52 people that have ever won the masters it, it's just and and we start we start dishing out we start distributing these may oh well uh, ricky will get three rory will get nine speed and the, it's like when when nfl analysts do the uh, preseason like uh, wins and losses like it never adds up right you're like wait how are there like how is every team a winning like going to have a winning uh, record? Like that that can't happen. And so I think that, and especially in this era with how many great guys there are, we we need to uh, just keep in mind like how valuable those major championships are, how much they mean, and and how much regular wins mean too. You know, as well, like winning the Arnold Palmer, winning the this week at Wells Fargo. That's a big deal. Yeah. And because uh, there's only so many of them. Um, there was a college football writer who I will not name. And I think this was four or five years ago. And they were doing uh, individual little hits and, and posts on over under win totals. And the coldest thing I've, I've seen in a long time was when another college football media member double checked his or hers math and realized you can't have 11 overs in a 14 team conference, bro. (laughs) Dude is out here feeding the goods to all the fans. Like, Nope, it's going to be over. I'm feeling it. Like, I don't know this, but that, I mean, that's what I was just laughing, thinking about like the, the math just doesn't add up for, uh, you know, all of these great players to all be like three, four time major winners. I know. And that that's why if you get to like, like if Roy or Spieth gets to like seven or eight, I mean, that is, that's crazy. It's a wrap. <laughs> like, that is, that's insane. And I think that, you know, I don't, I don't know. We could talk about that for another hour, but I, I just, I think that, I mean, Spieth's recent history and consistency have said that that's probably going to happen. But who knows? There's so many variables. There's so many things that have to break your way to win that many majors. And uh, it's going to be pretty interesting. Um, before we get out of here, Chesson Hadley is your sleeper for Quail. Did you know that he was making biscuits at a Charlotte Bojangles this week? That's Doesn't he do that like every other week? Does he? He's got the Bojangles logo on his collar. Oh, like like God. where the foot joy is for most guys. He's got the Bojangles. I'm so proud of him. I've never had Bojangles. You haven't? Well, come, I mm. mean, you know, come through. 
It's I mean it's it, world I mean, world headquarters is here in North Carolina. Uh, yeah, I, I I like him. He's had a really quiet six top ten so far on on the on the tour this year. He's nineteenth yeah. in the in the FedEx Cup. Nineteenth, that's pretty good. It's balling. Good to see him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, he is Kyle Porter. You can follow him at Kyle Porter CBS. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Please make sure that you subscribe to the First Cut Podcast. Download the episodes. Give us reviews. Give us ratings. Our bosses see it, and our bosses appreciate it, and that keeps us uh, that keeps us talking to you. So, we got Quail. We will be back with a Mega Players Championship preview. Kyle, thank you very much. Thanks, Chip. Talk to you next week. <laughs>